Part ten of the Fates of the Princess of Dovert by Kenneth Morris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Story of Pool and Rhiannon, or the Book of the Three Trials, the third branch of it, and the name of this branch, the coming of Abgil Coid, and the three trials of Pool Penanun. One, the Forge of the Immortals. In the seven cantrefs of Dovert there was little but delight and prosperity and advantage for every one during the year after rhiannon's coming there indeed it was well known that she was without her equal or nearly her equal either for beauty or for wisdom for nobility or for kindness in the three islands of the mighty or in the three islands near thereto or in the island of ireland or in the length and width of the whole world so far as was known wonderful was her renown and her glory and the songs that were made in her praise and none of it equal to her deserts complete was pool in delight and favour and well-being as for the demetians she never abated her proud sweet friendliness towards them unless it were madog crintach or daniel drug or catu gwaith or gwilting gwaithaf ol they were men of the east that had come into Dovert when they were children for fosterage and had remained there and acquired wealth little good was spoken of them there were none that were without help from her and profit by her counsels never had her countenance shown less than delight and glory and radiant gaiety of aspect since the day the queenhood was bestowed upon her a year passed and on the morning after it it was clear to pool penannon that there was a sternness on the queen and a certain gravity of mind he asked her what would be the cause of it if there's gravity said she it is on account of cluid the son of kilcoid from the region of uffern were there any one that could keep him out of dovert this day the land would be safe from him for another year but he will be making trial to get in and that's between noon and sunset and it will not be easy to prevent him what would the one do that would spoil the trial for him said pool he would ride as far as gorseth arbeth and take his place on the throne there and let no one else come near the throne till the sun was gone from the sky said she he would maintain silence from the time of his setting out until the time of his returning and heed nothing that might be said to him either on the gorseth or on the way as much as that i will do gladly said pool if there is any spoiling his trial i will spoil it with that he had them saddle blodwin and bring her into the courtyard he looked at every nail in the four shoes of her four hoofs and there was not one either loose or wanting he examined every strap and fastening of the saddle and the whole of the purple saddle cloth and the apples of gold at its four corners there was nothing about them that was less than perfect he went forward taking the road towards the gorseth hardly had he ridden half the distance when the shoe of the right forehoof was gone from the mare he dismounted and tied her by the roadside walking quickly he would come before noon to the place where he desired to be while he was tying blodwen he heard the clink of hammer on anvil from beyond the bend of the road it would be better to have her shod he thought not considering that he had known of no smithy there until then he untied her and led her forward on the left of the road when he had passed the bend 
he saw the smithy it had no appearance of newness with it it was a wonder that he should have passed the place not three days since and taken no note of it there was a yoke of oxen standing in front of the forge and with them a tall white-bearded ploughman ploughman or not clearly he had the dignity of kings and druids with him then poole remembered the morning when he rode out after apples to the orchard of kelidon and the beating of the rain upon him and a white running glimmer through the rain there was no knowing why such memories should be taking his mind at this time he had seen no ploughman at kelidon so far as was known to him he heard conversation between the ploughman and the one that was in the smithy like this it was is the fire white in its heart with you said the ploughman is the iron of the right colour neither so bright as to be white nor so dull as to be black or brown or grey white is the fire and red is the metal said the other there is nothing lacking so far as is known well well said the ploughman it is the day for the trial he turned as he spoke catching the eyes of poole for a moment before he went on his way driving the oxen never had it chanced to the chieftain of the demetians to know anything equal to the sad majesty of his gaze as if all the sorrow in a thousand dark stars were known to him as if he had been waiting for something desired and hoped for since the shouting of the name he gave poole no word of greeting but turned again and went on down the road singing strangely and quietly to the oxen the smith came out from the forge and took the bridle from the king's hand without either of them speaking he was a tall handsome black-haired blue-eyed fair-skinned man and no better known to poole than the ploughman had been it would be some king perhaps out of the north or out of Cloigre, and he doing smith service for one of the immortals there would be nothing strange in that there was an oak of a hundred limbs on the other side of the road poole took his stand by the bank at its foot waiting and his mind running out to gorseth arbeth and to the peril of dubbard from cluid ab kilcoid who this cluid might be he had not heard the fullest tidings he had of him was that he came from the regions of Uffern. it would have been unfitting for him to have made inquiries of rhiannon and she with the concern only that he should go forward and hold the gorsed the sound of the hammer on the anvil called him from his musings barely had the seven blows been struck when it became clear to him that the smith was knocking out a music unlike anything he had heard during his life the sound grew and was multiplied wonderfully upon him it took strange rhythms and raised up innumerable echoes along the rim of the world like far thunder rolling among the mountains or the boom of the billows on the cliffs or the roaring of all the flooded torrents of the wilds the sparks flew faster and faster wandering showers of them playing and quivering through the sun-flecked leafage driving out across the road and falling about him on this side and on that it might have been with the twentieth blow that it happened to a spark to fall in his right eye instead of pain and burning it became sharp swift vision with him for an instant into the illimitable secrecy of things for an instant he saw that the like of which not many will have to see while their bodies and mortality may still be encumbering them it was as if a wind blew out of the immortal regions sweeping away the road and the tree and the little white-washed smithy 
sweeping away the sunlight and the blueness of the sky and the demetian hills and the glory of the morning and sowing over leagues upon leagues a great confusion of darkness a whirling red glare in the midst of it what seemed to be the crimson and fiery sun when he goes down amid heaped cloud-banks of purple and by that again one that had the stature of the poplar the splendour of the sunset and the dawn but before there was so much as telling what colours might be in his raiment the whole glow and vision was caught up in a whirl of smoke and blown away and there was the smithy again and the smith and the anvil as they had been before it was a cause of marvelling with pool penannon soul said the smith not many will attain entering into this smithy to please the ploughman of these islands it is permitted to you then pool knew that it was hugh gadarn was the ploughman he had seen on the road and with him the exalted oxen nino and paibio that had been kings of the world before they were changed into ploughing beasts for their querulous and battle-eager pride he made no answer at that time although i was warned against conversation thought he it would not have been the conversation of the immortals keen was his desire to learn what forge it was and who was the smith that was swinging the hammer in it did you not learn that said the other hearing the question without language having been put to it it is a marvel to me that a man should come to penganion and be without knowledge or recognition of the place behold now the splendour of it said he with that he smote not sparks but one great brilliance of flame out of the iron and with its waning road and sky and tree and smithy were gone again and the aspect of a mortal fell from the smith and he stood revealed in all his grand stature and beauty towering over the king in the glare and gloom of a huge unearthly region pool knew then that it would be gorfannon the kingsmith that he was that son of don on whose anvils on the headland of ganyon swords are forged for the immortals for their warfare with the demon races glorious he was beyond the finding of any likeness for him shadowy light and bright darkness played about his form and his visage great purple and of the colour of the deepest roses there was a spear in his hand that seemed to have flame running and rippling through it its head glowed and shone until it was the greatest light in the world what had seemed in pool's first glimpse of vision to be the setting sun amidst clouds was made known now for an anvil of intense glory a hall of innumerable forges extended on all sides filled with shadowy and gigantic toilers and with the sound of innumerable titanic hammers beating upon such anvils as might be used for the shaping of mountains all was lurid gloom immense darkness and sudden glare as for roof or walls there was no sign of either of them only blackness and sudden ruddy startings up of flame afar or sudden deepening and blooming out of crimson glory over a vastness wider than the sky it seemed to pool that if two armies had been in that hall neither of them less in number than the army of the king of london when hosting is made of the whole of the men of the island of the mighty and both of them eager for battle and vehemently desirous of winning fame and renown and glory out of the ones that were opposed to them 
and either skilfully led with proud experienced sovereign rulers at the head of them and such guides as might be the best in the world and no less good in an unknown land than in the lands in which they were born it seemed to him that they might wander for a thousand years seeking and never finding their opponents that they might pass each other near at hand and be unaware of it passing and attaining no end nor goal for their wanderings so vast it was and so great the fume and tumult and confusion and bewilderment of momentary crimson-breasted clouds and dark firmaments unkindled by a star and again of fountains of sparks arising more countless as it seemed to him than the multitudes of stars in the castle of gwydion in the milky way said gofannon what gift will you take from the forge of the immortals no one goes from the headland of ganion said he without labour accomplished for him much less if it is by the favour of hugh gadarn that he came in from close at pool's hand a whinny came through the gloom he turned and reached out and took blodwin by the bridle and led her forward into the glare of the anvil and pointed to her shoeless hoof gofannon laughed here is one come to penganion for the shoeing of a mare he cried here is one that is going against cluid ab kilcoid and no desire on him for such a weapon as might win him success the laughter of millions of giants rang out and swayed and rocked through the hall let the gifts be shown to him that he may make a wiser choosing said gofannon he saw the giants moving through the gloom suddenly in the midst of them sprang into light a thousand spears equal in glory to the spear of gofannon himself the sight of them drove the feeling of mortality from pool's limbs out of the thousand one shone pre-eminent it was clear that that one if there were a foe before it anywhere in the world would not rest in the hand that might be holding it but would strain and writhe and struggle and loose itself irresistibly and make pursuit of its aim through the night and day and have no peace nor satisfaction until he was slain and itself returned to the hand of its master ah heaven thought poole cluid would have little power whoever he may be against the man who had a spear like that one is it spears you desire said gofannon once more blodwin whinnied and the king's mind went back to the behests and desires of rhiannon and the watching on gorseth arbeth from noon to sunset and the maintaining of silence both going and returning he pointed down at the right forehoof that was shoeless and shook his head against accepting spears let the shields be made known to him said gofannon with that the middle air was brilliant beyond noonlight with what seemed to be the flashing forth of a thousand suns when he looked at their bright glory strength and piercing vision flowed into him through his eyes and he was filled with the whole joy and magnanimity of the world it was a marvel that even god should have been able to look at those shields yet pool beheld them without winking an eyelid one of them rose up and beamed so proudly forth that the rest grew pale let trial be made of that one cried gofannon abdon the spears came flying from every part of the firmament like the roar of a burning pine forest was the noise of their passage through the air wherever they flew the shield took them and quenched them and splintered them in pieces 
the clamour of their smiting on it made the sound of the hammers on the anvils seem quietness and peace then boulders hurtled through the air no more than nine of them heaped together would have been needed to make a mountain equal to the withfa they crashed upon the shield and fell at the end there was neither dint nor scratch on its beautiful surface by heaven thought pool if one had a shield such as that one is it the shield you will take said the kingsmith it will be the protection of duvard from cluidab Kulkoid. the words were between his tongue and his teeth to take it and give praise and gratitude for it when he felt blodwin nuzzling and caressing his hand again he shook his head against the shield and pointed to the right forehoof the shoeless one yet in my deed true it is that little could be done against such a weapon thought he there is no end to his ambitions said gofanon he will have neither spear nor shield though the gods covered them make the swords known to him they did so and whatever might be thought of the spears or the shields however excellent they were and beyond human imagining compared with the swords they seemed little better than the wooden toys of a child it was as if the whole herd of the lightnings of heaven were let loose in the upper air indeed if they had been their glory would have been contemptible beside the glory of those swords the sight of them kindled in pool's mind and caused such ardour and loftiness of soul to flame up in him that it seemed to him that he would have attained suddenly the stature of the well-grown poplar the firmness of the mountains make trial of the swords said gofan and abdon then they uplifted the shields again and those that had the swords smote with them upon the shields and the shields in spite of the wonders that they were were easily destroyed pool marvelled he took no thought for the requests of rhiannon he forgot gorseth arbeth it was the same to him as if he had heard no rumour of the son of kilcoid from the time his life began is it a sword you desire said gofanon by heaven it is a sword said pool they never had their equals under the stars let a sword be forged for him cried the son of don let a new sword be forged quickly for this prince of the cymry of lofty desires it is unfitting that an old and outworn weapon should be foisted upon him he robed himself in shadow as he spoke then pool heard a great stir and the whole tumult grew into the sound of one hammer smiting on one unseen anvil eagerly he waited this would be a weapon for him against cluid ab Kulkoid. rhiannon would glory in this against cluid indeed against all the demons the island of the mighty at least should be made free from evil now it was fitting that since one of the immortals had taken queenhood there the man that was reigning at her side should have a blade from Pencanion to work her will with it throughout the world this was a marvellous honour that hugh gadarn was doing him it would be as much as choosing him for a champion of the immortal kindred thunder upon thunder upon thunder of the hammer on the anvil sunset upon sunset upon sunset where the glory of the upleaping flame reddened on the vastness between the floor and the rafter beams the gods had seen to it that when he held the gorseth he should be fittingly armed to meet abred let loose the whole multitude of the following of kithraul 
thunder upon thunder upon ringing clanging resounding booming far rolling thunder and now silence and the waning of the red glow on the upper and middle air suddenly a sword flashed forth there held in some vast shadowy hand he remembered the thousand swords that had been revealed to him contemptible they seemed and unworthy of notice and such as would betray their wielder upon the field of conflict in comparison with this one it flew forth as if of its own will until gofanon was holding it he lifted it suddenly and swung it against the anvil that was before him and he himself in a half darkness not clearly visible a million lightnings broke loose and fled and quivered into the far gloom the sword was shivered into ten million fragments and was strewn like hailstones over the immensity of the floor a miserable weapon truly cried the kingsmith it would be an insult to offer the like of it to this warlike prince of the kindred of the cymry let a better smith take better steel and let a weapon be forged that may be called a sword and that will be worthy of the man that will swing it in battle again the clang of the hammer a grand music as if of bells not without ringing martial vibrant sweetness such a sword as the last one would have been equal to all victories it might have overcome gods and dragons without boasting as for this one that was being forged now the thought of it was wild delight a tumult of flaming glory in his heart and in his imagination peal after peal of the ringing clangour what hammer was that that could so fill the world with so unearthly music what anvil that could strew such beauty over the dark void of the air at last it was forged this new sword also and flamed forth upon wings as the first had done and gofanon caught it by the hilt as it flew he smote the anvil with it and clove the iron anvil in two then he put the point of it on the flagstones and set his foot on the blade and exerted his strength against it three times and broke it contemptuously ah he said it was better than the other but it was a paltry miserable weapon only myself will be equal to forging a sword for this haughty sovereign of the cymry then he stood forth in such glory that it seemed to Poole that he had not seen him at all but only some shadowy vagueness of him until then there is no poplar in the world or pine tree in the heart of its forest or sheltered between mountains where no wind can bend it that would be the equal or nearly the equal of him in stature a dark blue mantle was on him fastened over his heart with a brooch the size of a shield of living opal sapphire and amethyst the mantle had the appearance of the firmament on a night of stars but the lights overstrewn on it were lovelier than the stars of a cloudless midnight in august when no moon may be shining he flung back the mantle over his shoulders revealing the beauty of his being evil upon the world if his very corporeal frame were not of purple and rose-dark fires of gloom and glow and glory and mystery such beauty dawned upon his face and upon the coal-black purple shadowed bloom and lustre of his hair as may not be seen among the mountains at sunrise or at sunset at dark midnight or at bright noon 
Then it seemed as if the whole darkness of the world had died. As far as Poole could see, from the north to the south, before him the whole hall burned up into a bright, beautiful rose, an intense vortex of flame, and in the midst of it an anvil vaster than the mountains, vaster, heaven knows, than huge five-peaked Pumlemon, or the god-sheltering Withfa, or Kader Idris of the Druid of the Stars. Beside it stood the kingsmith, radiant, fire visibly rippling through his bare arms and his breast. On the anvil there was that which glowed in the glow and was brighter and more intense than the flame, beating on it a hammer that might well have crushed the world in its falling. The sound of every blow that fell was the equal of all music, the dispelling of all sorrow, the rousing up in the heart of whomsoever might attain hearing it, of the whole heroism of the world. Not one thought was in Poole's mind as he watched the forging, as he watched the sword take shape, as he saw the immortal kingsmith hold it up gloriously in the air. It was a hard gap of brightness in the intense glow that filled the hall. It was a long gleam of sudden and surprising light. No one but a god could have dared to touch it, but it seemed to Poole that it would not be too great for him. "'As for making trial of it, let the boulders be thrown,' said Goffanon. Again the great granite masses came hurtling through the air, and a marvel such as this was to be seen. The sword take one of them after the other, and sweep through it easily. Then the kingsmith turned with it towards the great anvil, and clove that, so that it fell out in two equal pieces to the left and the right. Then he put the point on the flagstone at his feet, and bent the blade and trod on it, and exerted his strength seven times. It flew out, straight and gleaming again the moment he lifted his foot no power in the world could injure it it is a sword of the right forging he said no one could accuse it of any fault the one that has a right to it let him take it nothing would prevent its flying to its rightful lord not until then had there been sternness or sorrow in his voice he let loose the sword the hall rocked and trembled its glory of fires died. Great wonder lightnings of wings burst from the sword-blade, flashing out from end to end of the darkness. Was it Hugh or some other god that shone for a moment, severe of aspect in the far sombre gloom? Away with the sword, winging and singing terribly through the air, towards that stern momentary figure, and sword and god were lost in darkness more swiftly than the lightning reaches its home. Then Poole remembered the counsels of Rhiannon, and his loss and heedlessness were made clear to him. The immensity of the hall was gone, the unearthly gloom and brilliance had become sunlight and shadow, the clamour of immortal hammers gave place to the beating of the last nail into the horseshoe and to the rustling of a soft wind in the leaves and branches of the oak. His loss and heedlessness were made clear to him. He looked up at the sun. It was within a few minutes of its noon. Ah, said the smith, and no likeness of godhood on him then. Tis a pity, truly, 
for any one to enter Penganyon without advice. Time will stand still for the man that is silent there. There is no peril for the one without desire, but often hours are squandered as soon as the lips may be framed for speech, and often there will be the desiring the sword of the gods and the claiming it by those who have no right to more than to be on Gorseth Arbeth before noon. True it is, said Poole, upon me let the sorrow fall he rode forward towards the gorseth sorrowfully as swiftly as he might he came to the stile at the foot of the hill a little after it was noon a small cloud was blown across the heavens on to the hilltop hiding the throne for a moment before it passed on and darkened the whole day as he made his way up the hill he met a man coming down it was madog krintach from the east of the world if there was a hard curmudgeon of a man in the island of the mighty in those days it was that maddock and it was for that reason that the name of krintach was given him poole watched on the gorseth until dusk but it was in his mind that little good would come of the watching the whole green land of dovard as he looked out over it had an aspect unlike any that he had seen on it before even the bees that sought the blossoms on the hilltop had a certain sound of mourning and heaviness in the music of their wings. He saw no marvel, and met with no blows or violence. In the evening he returned to Arberth. He heard no singing as he passed through the town. No joyful barking greeted him at the gates of the palace. When he went into the feasting hall with the courtiers and the guests, he saw that a third part of the light and music there was gone. Adan Lonach, indeed, and Adan Fwinach were shedding their delicate splendour from among the rafters. But there was no sign of Adan Lanach, the eldest of those three lovely ones, the white one of the singers of peace. In silence and a strange gloom, the feast went on to its ending. Soul, said Poole to Rhiannon, because of me this sorrow hath fallen. It is known, said she, both to you and to me. Then she said, Useless would be reproaches and finding fault. It would have been better to have desired to be on the Gorseth. What evil will have come of this? Cluid ab Kilcoid has come in. It will be hard to preserve the Demetians from molestation by him. Already he has been empowered to steal Adan Lanach, and there will be no recovering her, except by your son and mine, when he is grown a man. There was one upon the throne on Goraseth Arbeth at noon, of a shrivelled, twisted, and sidelong nature, and he escaped not without blows and violence, and he had taken them from Cluid ab Kilcoid, whose coming into Dovard he brought about by his being upon the Gorsev. It was the Krintach from the east of the world, said Poole. It would have been better to have driven him forth when he was a child. It would not have been better, said she even though the like of him should be the cause of evil it would have been ungenerosity and inhospitable unkindness and the bringing in of a niggardly spirit among the princes of the cymri and the corruption of the virtue of the sovereign rulers of this island that is true said he is there nothing that i can do to requite you for this evil there is nothing she said until the time may come for doing it End of part 10